Hi friends, I just wanted to drop a little plug before we started. I am going to be offering a consent for the music industry or creativity and burnout prevention for the music industry course, depending on your feelings about the word consent. Um, you can call it what you want, but that's what it's going to be about. Um, and it's going to be a six-week course, and if you are interested, slide up in the at fuck yeah sober sex DMs on Instagram or me uh, at L-O-U-I-S-A-H-H-H um, at Instagram or, you know, just I'm open to, to your queries and can give you more information. <laughs> Thanks for listening. On with the show. Arij Abbas is a queer South Asian American sexual health educator based on the stolen land of the Ojibwe, Odawa, and Patawami tribes colonized as Chicago, Illinois. Arij creates spaces of trust and community for people to freely explore concepts of sexuality, gender, and relationships. Their work is informed by the idea that A, humans are by nature sexual beings, B, most humans are developmentally repressed when it comes to navigating sexuality, and C, bridging this knowledge gap is key to fighting systems of oppression and creating communities of love and care. His approach is one of acceptance and compassion, meeting people wherever they are on their journey to sexual liberation. We are thrilled to welcome Arij to Sober Sex. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got it, mental growth, sober sex, all of this and more. good i'm i'm tired but i'm i found some stability in my like work over the last couple of weeks so i'm i'm feeling good about it that's really exciting do, do you want to yeah. say more or is that kind of where, where um, you want to leave it i so i've been bartending right last week or last year and i just I dropped down to only two days a week instead of full time. And then I made, I'm very bad with self-discipline. So I've made like a work schedule for myself and it's working. That's kind of, yeah. So, um, I don't know. It's a new structure and it's working well. So I like that. I feel good about myself. For yeah. That. Fuck yeah. Well, congratulations. And also like yeah. at the time of publication, you will have a website up where we can visit and learn about yes. projects. <laughs> Absolutely. We will. Awesome. And I, and, um, I think that you're in Chicago, but is that where you are right now? I am in Chicago. Yes. Awesome. Is that where you're from? No, I'm from, I grew up outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, so cool. I'm a Southern baby. Um, very nice. And my parents are from Pakistan, so I'm Pakistani as well. Excellent. Yeah. And what are your pronouns before we get too deep into the convo? Yes, um, my pronouns are he, him, they, them. Beautiful. And like she, her, or kind of whatever. Um, <laughs> what is your experience of gender today? Because, you know, we love an easy question. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm feeling pretty, pretty neutral today. Um, Not very masculine, not very feminine, just, I'm just vibing. That's, that's cool. my gender today. Yeah. <laughs> just vibing. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds ideal, actually. Um, right. And I wonder kind of what your journey to kind of gender neutral has been. Um. Yeah, so I think what... For me, growing up, it was always, and as I talk, I will use gender binary terms a lot if I, when I'm talking about like the messages I received and like awesome. my journey to this, just because that's how it was presented to me. For sure. Um, so just a note on that. Um, it, my, my journey to gender neutral, I guess just growing up, there was a lot of discomfort or that feeling of like, oh, this isn't quite right when mm -hmm. I was put into the the boys box in terms of what boys 
do, how they behave, what they like, um, etc. And so the concept when gender norms and roles was presented to me, along with the option of, oh, you don't have to fit inside this box. That was, that was mind blowing. Um, yeah, so, so that's kind of how I got to, got to gender neutral. Awesome. Where I was like, oh, I don't have to be a man, like manly man all the time and like hide my feelings. Um, and care about football I don't know um <laughs> like <laughs> no thank you to that like yeah okay, <laughs> so um but yeah very cool I mean and I wonder like you know the kind of sober sex anchor question is can you talk about the first messages you received around sex and sexuality um when you were growing up and I wonder mm-hmm. kind of how those things relate and like how you yeah moved on from that point because I, yeah, I think a lot of so, us, like, based on the age that we grew up in, you know, like, I think we're probably around the same age. Um, yeah. I'm 37, or 30, just turned 38. And, I'm 28. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so fucking old. So, I mean, you that's actually... You don't look 37. I'll take that. All. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were going to say 20s. Um, no. But, um, but this idea of, like, I think even in the last decade, you know, that there has been a lot of different information kind of... or. I, like access points, you yeah. know, kind of to like a gender spectrum or like the possibilities of like, di- like different ways of relating to our own sexuality. And I'm curious about like what, how that's evolved for you. Yeah. So when we talk about the first messages re- I received around sex and sexuality, I think it's important to note that the first messaging I received, and I think a lot of people received, wasn't so much around sex or sexuality as it was around gender and mm-hmm your gender norms so like from seven or eight years old I I can remember like very vividly registering certain messages about how boys should behave um and so like I was very sensitive young boy growing up like I cried and got my feelings hurt very easily um I had a much easier time fitting in with the girls in class and I remember having to make like very intentional efforts to like fit in with the boys like like, okay, let me go learn about football so I have something to talk about mm-hmm. with these guys that I'm supposed to be friends with. And, like, um, and like let me stop crying. Like, literally, that was a decision I made mm-hmm. at some point in elementary school where I was like, oh, I can't cry because boys aren't supposed to. Um, and so that was a lot of the early messaging. Um, and throughout high school, throughout middle and high school, these con- like, these messages – are reinforced and more stuff is added on um, in terms of then like then sex comes into play like okay how are you as a man supposed to act in this sexual dynamic between between men and women because that's like what it was growing up like in the south in the early 2000s yeah um, for sure and I do also wonder like to pause you know because mm-hmm. you're talking about growing up in the south like do you feel like the the gender expectations like were you getting different messages kind of Uh, surrounding like being Pakistani and also being like a young boy in the American South yeah so it's funny because a lot of the messages overlap on like between those two communities um and yeah between between my Pakistani Muslim community and like my southern bible belt kind of community um it was it was all the the like repression around sex was coming from both sides. Where it's like, <laughs> like it was you know, everywhere. It was everywhere. So it's like it, it sex is sinful. Um, it's only for making babies. I don't even like you know when we first learn about it. I don't even know what sex is. We're talking about it, but no one has actually like defined it for me. Um, and so there's just a lot of muddied waters around what is what is sex what is dating even um supposed to look like um throughout middle and high school and into college um so it was something to be talked about in hushed voices or not at all there was a lot of separation between boys and girls when we would learn about sex um in school like in fifth grade when we learned about puberty they took the boys and girls into separate rooms you know and so guys learned yeah and so guys learned about 
body odor, facial hair, and erections. All things that boys at that age should be learning about. But why do the girls not need, like, why, why can't they hear about that? And why can the boys not hear about menstruation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I mean, I think I, th- I think in a lot of ways it was to like preserve everybody's embarrassment. <laughs> like I guess to yeah. like save the teachers also from having to like navigate like the level of like giggling, but like I mean it's also I think both as you said like both sets of information is important to both like Exactly. Groups. Because then I didn't learn what happens during a period until I was 23 and like here we are in middle and high school making jokes about like PMS and girls being on their periods when we have no idea what they're actually going through. Oh my God. You know, high school is, and middle school are kind of like, and hell, that yeah. kind of like that kind of division I think is really harmful. Like it reinforces certain cultural like stereotypes and patterns of, I mean, when we're talking about periods and stuff about minimizing like what women go through, but also just creating that division along that gender binary. Yeah, and a lot of shame, I think, for both yeah, people, right? Exactly. Because like, yeah, the message yeah. then is that, oh, I can't talk about this with someone of the opposite gender. Like, whatever's going on with my body, they're not supposed to know about it. Um, yeah. Which I think continues in a lot of, like, for a lot of us until, you know, our, our 20s, which mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah, exactly. Um, And even in the Pakistani community, it was like there came an age around 13 and 14 when boys and girls socializing took on like a heavier context where it meant something more than what it was, which is like young people who are friends and like are in the same space. But so like driving home that message that boys and girls only interact when sex or romance is involved, like that's the only way that interaction is taking place. And B, it's bad to explore sex and romance. Like those are the messages we were receiving from from both sides really um and again like yeah you talked about teachers like sparing their like yeah shame or like discomfort um which further reinforces that part that like oh sex is shameful like it's embarrassing um yeah. Yeah, or like taboo somehow, which I think that mm-hmm. there is also this element for a lot of us, especially those of us who are like like demon children who, you know, if it, if you can't if you're not allowed to do it then it suddenly becomes like 15 more times exciting, you know. Yeah. Like I don't think any 14 or 15 like not any, but I don't think most 14 or 15 year olds would be so interested in sex if we stopped making such a big deal out of it. Cuz like at that age they're dealing with other shit. Like they only start thinking about sex because everyone like is afraid to talk about it except in movies and TV where suddenly high schoolers are having sex all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I think yeah. that's a really wise point, and especially because I like, this is kind of a demographic that you teach, right. And as, as a sexual edu- educator. Yeah. I've worked with, um, I've worked with teenagers, um, and tweens and then like people in their twenties and thirties. Um, that's actually really cool that you get to educate kind of older people. That's older people. It's fun because it's like, it's like I've hosted workshops and those like I'll talk about more later, but it is, yeah, it's really nice to, to work with older people as well. For sure. And I, I'm, you know, kind of speaking of your, your, um, journey as a sexual educator like how did that begin because it sounds like you weren't necessarily you weren't given the information that you needed growing up so how did you kind of find your way into that role yeah so um I think uh after after college I went to Peace Corps and while I was in peace like end of college and starting my Peace Corps service I was also in my first serious relationship And my girlfriend at the time would push back on a lot of the internalized misogyny and like kind of toxic masculinity tendencies that I had that I didn't even know I had. So like that relationship, as well as my Peace Corps training, where I received um, training on sex and gender that was miles ahead of anything I had ever been given before. Those two, yeah, those two things kind of combined to like, make a spark I guess like catalyze my interest in in sex and gender work because 
in Peace Corps, we were talking about and challenging our own gender biases, our ideals about sex, understandings of healthy relationships. And like, I'm learning about all this stuff while I'm having trouble navigating my first serious relationship. So it's all like clicking into, like a lot of things are just clicking into place. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, What did it feel like, like in the moment? (laughs) it, it, It really, it felt like, I mean, that light bulb moment kind of, was just like so much clarity in in such a short amount of time to where I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. So like during Peace Corps, um, unfortunately my service got cut short. So I never actually got to do very much work in my, um, in my posting. Um, but then when I got back, then COVID happened, I spent the next uh, year and a half bouncing around jobs, trying to find something I could see as a career. Um, and then one day I was with a bunch of my younger cousins um, and I decided we were together for like a couple weeks. So I decided to give them a little like sex ed talk um, based on their ages. And then I was like, wait, I remember how exciting it was for me to learn this stuff during Peace Corps. So I'm going to start teaching it. Um, oh, so that's awesome. kind of how I got there. Yeah. <laughs> Where how was like, it received by your family? <laughs> my family was um, a little apprehensive, but mostly um, they were very excited. Like my aunts and uncles were very excited or like very encouraging. Because they didn't want to do, have the talk yeah, with their exactly. own kids. <laughs> because they didn't want to have the talk and they were like, we know this is important and we have no idea how to have this conversation. So can you please just do it for us? Like, yeah. yeah, I can. Um uh, and I realized like that's the case with so many parents um, in and out of the Pakistani, like everywhere. They were, yeah. like they know that this is something they should talk about, but they don't really know how to. And they have their own like discomfort and shame around it, um, which, you know, will get passed on if, you know, if you if you teach it while you're displaying messages of shame and discomfort, like For sure. that's the message that's going to get passed on. I mean, and also I think that like it can be uncomfortable as a kid or a teen to receive like this talk from your parents who is like, they're like exuding their discomfort and you're like, oh my For God, this sure. is so horrible. For sure. Yeah. So to like have like cool uncle, cool cousin, like cool friends yeah. be like, this is the facts. <laughs> I think that does make it easier. You don't want it. You don't need to hear everything from your parents. Um Hell no. <laughs> um, and so, like, is that kind of when you realized it was your calling as you kind of felt these sparks, like, yeah. go off? Yeah, it was. I think in that moment, I just felt like for the first time in so long, I was actually excited to do this. Like, do, I had found work I was excited to do. Um, and, yeah, and I just remember being like, if I had had all these answers, like, when I was seven, eight, 14, 15, like how different my life could have looked, how much like anxiety and shame I would have been spared growing up, which is like not the worst thing in the world, but still. Um, but like just given the tools to navigate these dynamics properly. Um, so that's kind of my motivation now is like giving young people the tools to navigate relationships and like explore sexuality in a safe, affirming way that's beautiful um and i do wonder also like and you don't have to answer this if you want because i realize it's it's personal if you're talking Mm -hmm. about being an educator but like you talk about you know like you're self-described as as queer and i wonder kind of how like your own relationship to your sexuality was kind of unfolding as you learned more about like the the possibilities um it my my relationship to my sexuality unfolded very slowly I think um in college I kind of started to feel like oh I might be bisexual um was kind of getting more comfortable with the idea that I did find like more people attractive not just women um and then I think it but it kind of it was just very stagnant like I didn't do a lot about it um until I moved to Chicago so like I think it for me I had to get out of like where I was where I grew up Mm -hmm. where 
um, I was very nervous and scared to explore this part of my life. Um, and not because of like how my family was or anything, but just growing up, all the messages I'd received around it were kind of tied to that location. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I don't think I'll be able to comfortably and freely explore like who I am, like in terms of like my gender or my sexuality until I get out of this space because here I'm just too nervous about a lot of a whole lot of things that I'd rather not deal with um yeah for sure yeah and I think that that's actually a really interesting point and I wonder for how many people that like kind of location and like perception of perception like how we self-perceive and how we self-perceive in relationship to our surroundings yeah like affects that because I know that like I kind of had like a very kind of like kinky awakening after I'd been in France for a while, like probably like four years. Cause I realized I couldn't like, I really needed communication tools and kind of sets of rules to even be in relationship because like the way French people were dating was so different from the way I was kind of able to like understand cultures. <laughs> it yeah. like, it's really helpful to actually have like a, a, a mutually agreed set of protocols to, to have any kind of relationships actually. And then, but I don't think I would have ever explored that way because when I was, I moved from uh, Los Angeles to to France and dating in LA or New York was very, very different. And I think that those codes were like kind of horrible. It's kind of like who do you, whoever likes the other person less has more power, <laughs> which is a nightmare uh, dating in America. Yeah. Is that, is that true for Chicago also? Um. I don't know. I think I've found, I mean, firstly, I don't date a lot. So one of my goals for this, this year is to, um, is to do that more because I do want to explore more romance and sexual like pleasure. Um, but yeah, I think in Chicago, it is kind of like, you can find a niche that you're comfortable in and whatever works for you but in general I think in America there is this very much like whoever likes the person like whoever has less feelings has more power yeah Uh, I think it's like kind of a maybe a dating app like being popularized there pretty early kind of led to that because it's like um you you it's every everybody's open until you declare the relationship it's kind of like calling chicken or something it's not like Oh, hooray, we get to declare the relationship. It's like, oh my God, I wonder if this person likes me enough to date me exclusively, which is like, oh, what a terrible, like, I'm like, do I just blame America for like a disordered attachment style? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And I don't even know. I've never dated in any other country, so I'm not even sure like what the comparison would be. I've never thought about it as an American thing. France like, is into like grand gestures. Okay. <laughs> They love like a crazy day, first date. And you're like, what the fuck is this? Like I signed up for coffee and we're on a boat. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I think it, like the American wave is kind of coming, coming this direction. And also I think um, they hang out in like mixed groups of like both genders. It's not like girls night out. We're going to go to a bar and make out with somebody. They hang out and then they kind of pair off. Like, oh. and then there's this assumption that you're together uh, you know, there's no like declare the relationship. It's not a, so much dating is kind of new here. So it's it's interesting. But I digress. I'm also really interested in the fact that like you say you don't date a lot, which I think the perception of somebody who's like a sex educator can often be that like you're all over the place when it comes to sex. And it's cool that you're kind of like, that's actually like not my that's not who I am necessarily. Yeah, I I just remember growing up and this is like, I guess, touching growing up as a brown Muslim in a very white part of in the American South. <laughs> yeah, in the American South, dating was a little weird because I was just I was a little set aside from like you know everyone else. Um, and so for a long time, I was trying to date, trying to date, trying to date, and like not having a lot of luck and like getting frustrated. Um, and so I decided to just I was like I'm just gonna stop trying for a while and like figure out what's going on inside Mm. um and that coincided with the pandemic during which I was very fortunate enough to have like stable housing and like a stable family dynamic to like 
live in and like be at peace where I had time to navigate through like everything going on inside my brain and my body. Um, and so now when I'm coming back to dating, I'm looking at it as something to enjoy, like to have fun with and not put so much pressure on myself to like have a relationship come mm-hmm. out of it, you know? So I'm like, I want to, I actually like, this is exploratory for me. Like, okay, what are my, like, what is a red flag for me? What is a green flag? What do I like? What do I hate? Um, and in terms of like, yeah, dating and sex and like looking for partners, like what, what am I actually looking for? So That's such an exciting it's like adventure. <laughs> personal and professional development at the same time, I think. Um, well, yeah, because you get to kind of put what you're learning to to use in a like in a kind of vulnerable. Yeah, way. it's just very informative um, as well, which maybe makes me sound. Um, Neurodivergent. <laughs> a little, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. There's the word. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> No, but I mean, I think I like, I don't know, I, that sounds the way that you're kind of approaching it with curiosity. That was actually like, I did a little like prayer before I, I, um, I joined this, the, yeah. before I entered the chat. And okay. it was like, let me be like a channel of like curiosity. And I think that that's a really kind of a lovely way to enter any kind of human interaction, you know? I agree. Like, <laughs> yeah. What can we learn from each other here? Exactly. Um, and you know, I, I also, I was going to ask, um, do you like, I wonder what coming out as non-binary was like for you and if that informed kind of like how you felt dating? Um, it did. And so coming out for me was very, um, non I changed my, I changed my pronouns in my Instagram bio and I just started, <laughs> and I just started, um, and I just started using them with people um and I'm I'm still like I never had a conversation with my family about it I just kind of started doing things like I started wearing like doing makeup with my girl cousins and like I came home with a set of high heels one time that I bought at a store and my parents were just like I mean my dad doesn't care at all my mom was just like why and I was like, because, and she's like, all right, fine. Um, like, <laughs> whatever. I don't, yeah, she's like, whatever. Um, so they have like accepted it, but we never had like an explicit conversation where I was like, I'm non-binary. Um, this is what it means. <laughs> yeah, no, none of that. We did have those conversations when my younger siblings started changing their pronouns. Um, so okay. I did like, I did have those conversations with my parents, but it was mostly it was like, hey, don't, don't fuck with them you know like just understand what this means for on for their sake like not even for my sake um and it did inform how I started dating because now I date I kind of do look for people who have an understanding of gender and like outside of the binary um so I do date like you know I look for more like yeah people in the queer community who understand what it means to be to be non-binary and how honestly how that makes a difference in like what our relationship dynamic is going to be because I don't want to be the man in the relationship all the time like sometimes I'm happy taking that like lead like you know quote-unquote lead role that the man is supposed to play um but I don't want to do that all the time um so I want to be with someone where like we can we can share the responsibilities across the board regardless of like what gender identity we like what our gender identity is that's right if that makes sense yeah yeah for sure that's interesting it actually makes me kind of question my own relationship because I feel like um I mean this is like an ongoing theme on the show but I've, I've yeah no I feel like um as I have I'm like in this kind of first long-term healthy relationship mm-hmm I mean, and not like not the first healthy one, but the first one of like it's like seven years later, where like um, that a lot of shit has changed in terms of like perception of gender dynamics, or you know, like even like sexually, um, it's allowed me to kind of unhook from this idea of like sex is for male pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> so sad. 
Um, and so how to, what, what that change, what even that idea changes about like how we interact and how we fuck or how we, yeah, like kind of acknowledge each other's desire, you know? And I think that that's, it's really exciting, but it's also scary because it kind of unplugs this old notion of like, who is this for? What is this for? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, I I love that you brought up, you know, that idea that sex is for male pleasure, because that was another reason that I hesitated to explore sex for such a long time was I felt like because it's like for my pleasure that I'm taking something from the other person. Mm -hmm. So it felt wrong. Like even that pursuit of sex that men are encouraged to like embark on when they reach high school or college. Um, it like, it felt wrong. Cause I was like, I, I, it's just for me, apparently. Like that's what I've yeah. been told. Um, well, that's what everyone's been told. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so unhooking from that. Yeah. Is a big one. It, I think it did a lot for me. That's yeah, that's exciting. You, even when you say that, it feels like kind of a relief. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, but it, you it's know, scary, like unhooking for like unhooking from the notions of everything you've been told. Um, well, and also like you have to kind of remake your own map for desire because for I don't know about you, but for a long time for me, it was like, well, if somebody desires me, then I am turned on, right? Because like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like oh my god, they like me or whatever. Same. But you know, and so to kind of remove that is like the point. <laughs> it's very confusing. Um, it is extremely confusing somatically. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, I'm the same way where like I would only be attracted to someone if they express their attraction first. Um, because then it's like, oh, they want me. It's not about like what I want, you know. But now sure. you have to sit with what you do want. And that's hard. Yeah. It's, that's hard. That's scary. But that I think that's a big part of sex ed is like getting people comfortable sitting with their desires. Oh, um, that's really beautiful. I'm gonna fucking that's gonna be the pull quote from the episode. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> oh hell yeah. And you you know, kind of speaking of like sex ed, you talk about your kind of two fundamental principles as an educator being that A humans are sexual beings, or three fundamental principles, I guess, um, and B, that humans are repressed when it comes to navigating sexuality, and C, that bridging this gap is a key to liberation, both personally and from systems of oppression. And I wonder kind of how you, I mean, it, we're kind of, I feel like we're spiraling, spiraling around this concept in our conversation, mm -hmm. but I wonder how you kind of like arrived there, because it's such a powerful statement, and not untrue. <laughs> um, yes, thank you. It's such a good question. Um, and it really has been like a, it's a long journey and I think it's still ongoing, but starting with humans are sexual beings, um, which is not an original concept by any means. Um, it's connected for me to the fact that humans are social creatures and social skills are survival skills. Um, and sexuality is a part of that interaction. Humans have to interact with each other to survive. Um, and sexuality is a part of that. Even if you are someone on the asexual spectrum, it still plays a role in your social life. Um, so that concept is one that's expressed widely among sex educators because allowing people to express, allowing people to accept that this is just a part of who they are, um, encompassing sexual desire, arousal, attraction, other parts of sexuality, um, that's a huge first step towards destigmatizing sex, towards sure. normalizing sex as a part of human behavior. Um, so that's why it's so fundamental. It's like this, like accepting this part of yourself, I think is the first step to like exploring your sexuality in a liberating way. Mm. Um, yeah. So well, it's such a, it's, just to interrupt for a moment, just but like it's such mm -hmm. a um, kind of like polar opposite from like a purity culture message of like your sex makes you sinful. It's for somebody else. <laughs> like uh, God will hate you if you engage with it, especially for your own pleasure. You know. Like, yeah, and I think you know the people that you see screaming the loudest about that are the ones who are in such deep denial of their own sexuality and like have repressed it for so long that like this is their outlet. This is, you know, it's like 
oh, everyone else has to do this because otherwise I will have to accept, I don't know, that like this is a part of who I am too. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, also it comes out really fucking sideways. Like you hear so many, <laughs> like, how you many... Hear so many horror stories about like, you know, the, I don't know, the like tabloids of far right, religious right ministers, like having, you know, a cabana boy. Yeah, exactly. Like how many of these, yeah, exactly. Homophobic senators and congressmen actually like have, yeah, exactly. For sure. And then, so how does it kind of like, how, how does bridging this knowledge gap provide a key for liberation like how Mm -hmm. i mean i know what that has felt like for me and it's been such a fucking miracle and it's also the reason why we have a podcast (laughs) Um, so i'm curious about like what your experience is with that personally which sounds like kind of like the spark moment of being the peace corps but also like how how do you transmit that energy right so i think um before we touch on bridging the gap i think uh, talking about humans being like developmentally or systemically repressed mm-hmm. when it comes to navigating sexuality. And by that, I mean, they have not been like, we have not been given the tools to build and navigate healthy relationships, romantic, sexual, or otherwise. We have not been given the tools to regulate our nervous system mm-hmm. or build a healthy relationship with ourselves. And we have not been given the tools to explore our sexual being free of shame and judgment, um, which is something I learned from, one of my instructors, Rochelle Frabada. Um, And it's a theory I see reinforced every day. Like we are not taught how to feel our feelings, much less communicate them. We are not taught to get in touch with our specific needs, desires, or boundaries. And like, we're not even taught to take care of our bodies in a sustainable way. So bridging that gap um, looks like giving people the space, creating space for people to talk about the parts of their lives that we are not told to bring, like we are told to never bring up in public um, to create spaces free of shame and judgment for people to explore sexuality in community with one another. And this is something that patriarchy actively discourages. Mm -hmm. Like it is actively, we are taught to not talk about sex, to not talk about family problems, domestic violence, like sexuality, gender, um instead sweep it under the rug deal with it on your own like this is your problem to deal with yeah and as you were saying like kind of relational stuff too like of not mm-hmm. knowing how to fucking be in relationship with exactly. self exactly and then you can't like if you're having problems in your relationship you're expected to deal with it with that person instead of like going to a friend and being like hi this is what i'm dealing with like mm-hmm. you know what do you think um and bringing this So I guess one of the things liberation for me is also about like doing the opposite of what we have been told to do, like working in antithesis to what the systems of oppression tell us to do. Um, So if they're telling us not to talk about sex and relationships and our bodies, then creating spaces for us to talk about that is like is liberation is revolutionary and it's community building because if you name if we name these things if we bring them out in the open it it removes the shame it normalizes it okay if you say you're having problems with x in a community space and three other people raise their hands and say i'm having the same problem you're gonna feel a lot better about yourself and you're gonna be able to work with those people to say, what can we do to make this better? You know, like, what is the solution here? Yeah, it can be like actionable. Actionable, thank you, yes. So, um, again, like one, I guess, yeah, an aspect of capitalism is like making people feel ashamed and insecure about their bodies, relationships, and their life in general. So if we create spaces to talk about that and remove that shame, like that is liberation. Um, And making those spaces accessible to the people that are on like the outskirts, on the edges of society, the ones that have been most marginalized because they're the ones that are affected the most Mm -hmm. by, by these systems of oppression. And they're also the ones that have the most power to like bring about this change. Um, 
because they've been, been pushed. Oh, um, so if we're talking about my journey to this concept, I spent a massive part of my childhood like internalizing shame, guilt, fear, anger, anxiety, desire, etc. And the spaces I found to start opening up about it was um, first in Peace Corps when we started talking about this and having conversations like with each other. And then and can therapy. I pause you there for just yeah. a sec? Like, I'm so curious. It's like because I I know like kind of vaguely what Peace Corps is, but I'm like, how did these? What were these conversations? Like, what was the genesis of these conversations? Because it's not something oh, that obviously okay. I think a lot of us would think like in Peace Corps we're learning about sex and gender and like how's yeah, that, how did true. that connect? So um, Peace Corps, for those who don't know, is an American government agency that sends. U.S. citizens as volunteers to um, undeveloped or like developing countries Um, and like as an agency it's a tool of U.S. imperialism but I won't talk about that I'll talk about like my experience Um, um, like you can but okay (laughs) I just don't want it that that'll be a whole other you had a good experience and we'll do another episode on U.S. imperialism Um, but our cohort was teachers and as teachers one of our secondary projects was sex and gender work um so so we were trained like that was part of our training um and it involved like creating gender equitable classroom environments so making sure that you're treating everyone the same and um doing exercises to kind of examine like reveal and then examine our own biases around gender um and then our attitudes around sex and like our understandings of healthy relationships so these were all things that we were trained to teach others but in the process of that training we first had to like unlearn our stuff and like examine what we had going on so that we could pass it on um so that's kind of how peace corps informed like that's that's why I went through that training. Um, That's so cool. And I mean, also, also makes a lot of sense kind of like about. I never expected it. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea that that was something that was going to happen. And to be completely honest, at the time, I had this very like high elevated notion of myself that I was like an ally and knew everything about the plight of women and like could not be misogynistic in the least. And like, do it like going through I think that training lasted like a few weeks but I mean it ripped like it ripped me apart and like pieced me back together I was like holy fuck um I obviously have a lot of work to do um but it also lit that spark where I was like oh if I like if I'm like this like then you know obviously so many other people are too and there's a lot of work to be done here um and I enjoyed doing it yeah. No, I mean, it clearly it's, it's given your life a lot of like richness, which I think is always a good sign. It really has. Yeah. You were going to talk about therapy too. Yeah. I was just saying the spaces that I started opening about, about like my internal turmoil, um, for lack of a better word was yeah. In Peace Corps and then therapy, but those spaces aren't accessible, um, for everyone. And so, Uh, my journey like as a sex educator or my goal is really to create accessible spaces um, to bring people together and really combat the like the division that patriarchy sows and like capitalism sows between us where we're taught that our problems are our own and we shouldn't bring them up around other people so really combating that um, and for me, just doing it in the space of sex and gender and relationships. And I'm, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of, and this is like the theme for most of our guests, apparently, but like, it sounds like you're kind of coming at this place from like that of a wounded healer, right? That like you were <laughs> repressed and, and managed to kind of like move to another side of that where you do feel liberated. And like, so I wonder how you kind of managed to teach repress people about sex and gender and relationships like having yeah. been that journey yourself and you know I will be honest like my experience is very much still developing and minimal but I think some of the things I've learned one of the biggest thing I've learned about teaching people uh, um, is it's about meeting them where they're at mm-hmm. um, and assessing that before you jump into like your curriculum or whatever 
if someone is uncomfortable saying words like penis or clitoris um, or blowjob, like, then you have to work with that to get them comfortable just thinking and talking and using proper terms like about sex before you can start talking about, oh, here's how to have a great, like, here's how to have great sex or here's how to like, here's like, let's talk about kink and BDSM. Like you can't do that until, until you you can't throw them into a cold pool. (laughs) No, exactly. You can't throw them in the deep end because you're, you're, you're doing like a lot of unlearning. Mm -hmm. Um, and people will like, people will go back into their shell if they feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So you have to like make them feel comfortable and safe and like, do it slowly. So one of the challenges I did face early on was like, I was super excited to talk about certain topics like masturbation. Um, and without taking into consideration what my audience wanted or was comfortable talking to me about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing. It's like meeting people where they're at. You can't really force this change. Um, how do you kind of like help people warm up to these concepts? How do you get, how do you get them more comfortable Cause it's like, I cannot imagine facing a group of like tweens and being like, Hey guys, yeah. <laughs> I'm here to talk about sex education. You know, it's I like- think it's, um, and the tweens I've worked with mostly are, are like my cousins or other kids that I'm more familiar with. So it's a little easier. Um, so, you know, when I start working with like random high schoolers or middle schoolers, then I think my experience will be different. Um, but I think if you talk about it like it's something normal and like, you know, nothing to be ashamed of, then they will pick up on that message and like start talking about it in the same terms. There will be giggling. There will be jokes. They are children. Like, and there's <laughs> like, which I don't think is a bad thing. Cause like, if you can't talk about, like, if you can't have some humor around sex, then like that's something to work on what are you doing yeah it's fun it's pleasurable it's funny sometimes so so I think it's okay it's okay to embrace that like kind of like yeah haha I said penis you know um (laughs) and and then jump into like okay what is a penis like what are the different parts and like let's learn about it so um yeah, you just got to roll with the punches on the with the babies a little bit cuz they will That's give cool. you a hard time. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I feel like the, the the if you it's like horse training, like if you, if they can smell your fear. <laughs> so, yeah, um, true enough. And and for you you mentioned that you do workshops with also kind of like adults and what I wonder what the mm-hmm. kind of how it's different. I mean, because I'm sure that obviously adults are also repressed. Yes. Um, so how do you kind of unpack that a little bit? Um, with adults, it's fun because you have people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds. And so it's interesting to see how they interact with each other. Um, but again, it's about really you you set the tone or I set the tone from the start like just acknowledging that what we're talking about can be uncomfortable and it can be icky um and that's okay like if you feel like if you feel icky and gross talking about this like that's normal because because of how we've been brought up and this is a space where like you you can you can be uncomfortable, but like, and you can sit with it and like people around you are just, you know, going to help normalize it. Everyone shares and it turns into a space where like, you know, people are sharing their personal stories and that, that helps put everyone at ease. Um, because I think, yeah, self-disclosing helps put everyone a little more at ease. Like, okay, if they had this experience and like my thing doesn't seem that bad or like, like my question doesn't seem so stupid anymore. Um, and there are no stupid questions when it comes to sex or sexuality. Um, so it's, it's just about setting the tone from the start that like, Hey guys, we're all at a disadvantage because of X, Y, and Z. So this is a space to tackle that. And it's going to feel. The white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So, 
this is a space to tackle that and it's going to be uncomfortable and that's okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, we won't stop. We'll just, you know, <laughs> hold, we'll sit with hold it. that. Yeah. yeah, you hold it. You hold space for it. And how I'm really curious as to like how you learned to hold that space like for yourself and for others because you seem really good at it. Like you seem kind of like... Uh, I don't know, like a kind of warm, like safe energy. Um, thank you. I, that's such a good question. I don't know. I think for myself, this was something I guess that like I worked on in therapy and through my yoga practice. Um, and like just that massive period of self-reflection in quarantine, um, where I just got very comfortable with, a lot of the uncomfortable parts of myself. Um, and I think being, I, when I got to Chicago, I think just the people I met are also this like kind of live their life in this way where it's like humans, like we're, we're imperfect beings and like, and that's good. Like that's not a bad thing. I think that's mm -hmm. another thing that like we've kind of imprinted on ourselves that like, perfection is something to strive for um but hmm, getting back to I've always had this kind of host kind of like quality about myself where I like taking care of people I like holding space for them um like attending to their needs and stuff and so I think it kind of came it came a little naturally when I started like doing workshops at my house where it was just like, okay, let me, I'm pulling from a lot of different like knowledge space. I'm pulling from like breathwork techniques that I use to calm myself down. And so I'm going to start with that at the beginning of the workshop. So everyone's on the same level. I am pulling from like how to host an event, like how to plan in a host an event where people feel taken care of and like safe and like well-fed. Um, and, and, and then just kind of naming, naming what we're going up against goes a long way. Um, I think in terms of making people feel comfortable. That's awesome. Like, that's actually super helpful because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to plan my first, uh, like long, longer form consent course. And I think that even just saying that, like naming what we're up against, like, you know, we, I, was going to mention this when I was actually asking the questions, but I didn't. <laughs> so to, for listeners, Arish and I met um, in a consent educator training with Consent Wizardry, friend of show, school of consent. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and like, I wonder um, kind of how that education has informed um, what you want to be doing with like as a sex educator and like the places where it intersects. Like I know you mentioned yoga and you mentioned cooking and food. Um, yes. I think that training was very helpful in, excuse me, um, breaking down a lot of the things necessary to start your own practice as an educator, right? Like that was the second half of the course was we were talking about, like the nitty gritty of how to run a business and how to do it using the values like that our values and this consent ethic with ourselves with our bodies um so um even like tools like the yes to no spectrum and i i, I love that one because it it just it blows this concept out of the water that something has to be a hard yes or a hard no. Sure. Um, and I think even that is such a like new concept to so many people because we like, we do live in a binary world. Um, yeah. And we also live in a society where we're always going to be asked to kind of push through, you mm -hmm. know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, to push through, to ignore, like, the messages your body is giving you and just, like, tough it out, right? So that definitely informed a lot of the practices um, in terms of, like, okay, how, how do I approach this in a way that is sustainable and ethical and feels right for me? Um, 
Yeah, I think that's where, like, that's what that consent educator course with Mia did for that's me. Awesome. I need to go back and rewatch those lectures because I was, like, I don't know. I was in the clouds for <laughs> a lot of it. Um, but that's awesome, though, because I think that's that's already such a huge takeaway in terms of, like, not only what you want to be teaching, but especially, like, how you want to be living, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I think, yeah, Mia did a good job with that, for sure. And I mean, I guess, so it's, it's interesting because you were talking about like, um, name, like naming all the things that we're up against mm -hmm. and all of the kind of systems that we've learned that we're trying to unlearn and then like doing the opposite. Yeah. And in, so I'm sober a long time, hence sober sex. <laughs> and in 12 step, we have this idea, like there's like a sex inventory of where you write down, like either like all of your kind of major relationships, even if they were not necessarily sexual, it could have been like deep intrigue. <laughs> like, yeah. um, or, and then you kind of examine your part in, in what that was like, like, where was I selfish? Where did I arouse jealousy or bitterness or suspicion? And like, the final question is like, what should I have done instead? And then okay. you kind of make a list, then you take that list and you're like, okay, I can make this kind of ideal of how I want to behave in different situations. And a lot of me, that necessarily wasn't that helpful for me because a lot of them, I was like, I should have left well enough alone and not pursued this person who was like a walking red flag. Um, <laughs> but there's also this, so I liked how you were kind of like, you look at the thing that you were given and then you're like, I'll do the opposite. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but there's also this idea of like a sex ideal. So besides like what I should have done instead, but like, what's the map that I want to kind of grow towards being in a self and like in the kind of sexual or romantic relationship. Uh, mm. that I, like, how do I, like, and it can, I think also be like a dating ideal. It doesn't have to be like a long-term like marriage ideal. It can be like, who do I want to be as I date? And you mentioned kind of um, starting to compile your own research about like what are green flags, right? And I wonder um, if you have kind of a sex ideal that you're growing towards today. Um, I don't think I do. I don't like the concept of an ideal, mm. like, because it kind of, it, it reminds me of like that perfection. Perfectionist. Yeah, yeah, perfectionist. And I don't like that notion. But I will say um, where I'm at right now is I'm very much in this curiosity and learning phase. And the people like where I, yeah, I want to explore pleasure unapologetic, unapologetically um, because I still have a lot of shame and anxiety to work through when it comes to sex. And so that's my goal. And as I do that, I just, I just want to be like a safe, like a safe person to be around and like to explore love with. Mm, um, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I feel like emotional hearing about it. That's like really, think, really great. Um, thank you. So I think that's the only like real goal I bring to any relationship. I'm like, I just, I just want to take care of you as a person in our time together um, and make sure both like, yeah, we both feel good. Um, past that, like there's so many details and like obviously with every person, it's such a different thing that I don't really, I don't have a list of like ideals that I'm trying to like go towards. Yeah. But that's huge. Can I give you feedback based on personal experience? Yeah. You can say no. <laughs> um, for like, I think for the last several times I've done this exercise, it was also the, the ideal, the goal was also to be like a safe person. Okay. And that meant not also to be, that meant not only to be like, safe for others so like safe emotionally to be with and not like volatile and not kind mm -hmm. of like so I had to be kind of doing my work in order to be able to achieve that but also it meant um, I had to be safe for myself so like for me I was like chronically bad at using protection <laughs> so it meant like use protection <laughs> and also choose people like I meant it meant like to like my, you know, I don't like the word inner child that makes me want to barf, but like for, you know, the kind of more vulnerable parts of myself to choose people that were actually safe. Yes. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I encourage that like while you, while you offer the safety to others, you also offer it to you. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a very good, that's very good feedback. Um, 
because that is where I, that is where I like my shortcoming is like, I'm good at taking care of other people, but like meeting my own needs and like taking care of that is definitely where I fall in short. And then recognize game. <laughs> yeah, literally. And that builds resentment and then you turn into yeah. an asshole sometimes. And that's not I feel you. Yes. <laughs> um, so that was a really great answer. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so to end on kind of like a light fluffy note, we, yeah. we descend into the lightning round. Uh, so don't think too hard. It's not that okay. fast. Like Got you it. don't have it. <laughs> like, no, it's I not that it. kind of lightning. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so what's your favorite food to make? Oh, um, biryani. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. What is your favorite food to eat? Dal chavo, lentils, lentils that? and rice, lentils, lentil soup and rice. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, how do you, what is your favorite way to uh, upregulate if you're feeling lazy or low energy? Mm. Lately, I have been putting on like really upbeat music and just like dancing around. Perfect. Same. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how do you prefer to downregulate if you're feeling turned up or anxious? I will read. Or I'll cook something, like something small and simple. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've never heard those before. Everyone's like, I breathe, I pray. <laughs> you're like, I, I, I like yours. I like, I, breath is a huge part of my life, but it's something I do to like maintain my stability. If I'm already unregulated, I've, I've, like, I've had the last three months where I was unregulated and I was trying to breathe every day and it just wasn't doing anything for me mm -hmm. so it's like I need something else but breathing and yeah breathing and meditation is great when I'm already stable for maintaining that but like getting out of a heightened state or a depressed state it doesn't it doesn't really work for me that's so. such like a game changer I think <laughs> I just, I, I, yeah that it's like it's a self-care not a self-soothe yeah and I just kind of realized I just kind of said realized that as I was saying it so revelation <laughs> I love it. wow um what turns you on and that can be either sexually or romantically but also like creatively intellectually kind of physically mm. um being like anyone who's an activist like an activist against the the like for the revolution is a huge turn on um people who enjoy food as much as i do are a huge turn on and people who ask me what i want hmm. yeah awesome turn -ons. what is the last great book you read or movie or show that you watched oh my god um i watched blade what is Bl Blade, like the movie from the 90s? <laughs> yeah, i never seen it before. Um, I don't think I've seen it either. It's, it's like Wesley really Snipes and Yeah, Wesley Snipes. He's a vampire <laughs> hunter. It was great. Um, <laughs> it was a great, great book. Uh, great movie. The last great book I read... I don't know. I read, I read too many. Um... I will go ahead and say, sorry, I'm looking at my bookshelf now. It's cool. To remember. <laughs> <can edit> <laughs> oh, um, The Sympathizer by Viet Thanh Nguyen was a really great book. It's a satire about the Vietnam War, um, like a dark satire. Excellent book. Excellent. Yeah. And finally, what do you love? What do I love? I love, I love food I love food so so much um like it just it is my thing I guess I don't know awesome <laughs> I feel it in my body when you say that that's rad and finally where can people find you on the internet when your site is published as of <laughs> the date this episode drops <laughs> as of the date this episode drops you can find me at arijaboss.com that's a-a-r-i-j-a bbas.com um magic yes awesome thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to get to know you better thank you luisa thanks for having me 
a delight. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, goddess, mental growth, suffer, sex, all of this and more. Recovery, recovery, got a spiritual growth. Sober, sex, you'll never be.